I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Jacob Robinson, and I'm here with my dad, Glenn Robinson. Before we dive in today, we wanted to take a minute and give you a little background on who we're talking to with this episode. After my son Pierce got sick, we met a lot of great people who were willing to help us figure out what to do next and where to turn. We were blessed when we were connected to Vivian Schutte and her mom, Yvonne Strait. Their story was a lot like ours. You see, Yvonne has three daughters, and one of her daughters, Vicky, got sick at a very young age with meningitis, just like Pierce. When they, were, when they left the hospital, Vicky was severely disabled, and they didn't know what to do. What you will hear in this interview is that they were told to hide her away at an institution. But that was the advice at the time, which at that time was a half a century ago. Yvonne refused to let that happen. So she set out and created a school called Briarwood for Vicky and kids just like her. And as they grew, she later created Brookwood, a living community for adults with special needs. In the interview, you will hear how she faced challenges along the way and how she overcame them and created an amazing school and the amazing community called Brookwood. In addition, you will hear from her daughter, Vivian, who is now the CEO of Brookwood. Vivian has a special needs child of her own, Wilson. Vivian and Yvonne are two amazing people who are changing the world for the special needs community, and we are excited for you to hear their story today. Thanks, Jacob, because I believe everyone is going to really enjoy this episode for sure. But just a note for those listening today, due to COVID, we had to record this episode on multiple systems. So from time to time, the audio may not quite be perfect. And we apologize about that because we always want to make sure that we're bringing you great content and great audio quality. So we want to give you a heads up on that beforehand. Nonetheless, we think you're going to really enjoy today's episode. And with that said, here's today's episode with mother-daughter combo, Yvonne Strait and Vivian Schutte. Welcome to the Chasing What Matters podcast today. I'm Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other host, Jacob Robinson. And dad, man, I could not be more excited uh, about today's guest. When we decided to do this podcast, our collective family all agreed some of the very first guests we needed were Yvonne Strait and Vivian Schutte. What makes this interview great is not only the amazing things that we will tell you about today that they founded, but the fact that they're a mother and daughter combo. And it's just fantastic to have that dynamic on our show today. You see, Miss Yvonne Strait, whose degree is in education with a minor in psychology from Southern Methodist University, is the founder of the Briarwood School, designed to educate children with learning differences, and also the Tuttle School, whose children, who is for children with functional disabilities. She's also the founder of the Brookwood Community. In addition to that, she's the author of the book, Everybody's Got a Seed to Sow. She's here today with her daughter, Vivian Schutte, who is merely a mom on a mission to change the way the world thinks about adults with disabilities. 
Vivian has a degree in special education and psychology from the University of Texas, which we will forgive her for. And Vivian is currently the CEO of the Brookwood Community and a Brookwood Center for Learning. Thank you both for being on our show today. Thank you for having us. This is a privilege. Well, let's get started from the beginning. Yvonne, would you mind sharing with us about your family and the illness that your family suffered that started this incredible story? Well, I'll sure try. Uh, we have three daughters. Our third daughter in November of 1957 contracted encephalitis and meningitis had violent grand mal seizures on that Thanksgiving day, and uh, we thought we had lost her. 28 grand mal seizures, just one right after another. It was, it was terrible. And that was something that started us down a trek. We had no idea we were going. Our three daughters, one is now CEO of the Fort Bend County Women and Children's Abuse Center, and Vivian is the director of the Brookwood community. And Vicki, the reason it all began, is a resident at Brookwood. But our family joined together and we said, we've got to, to help get Vicki well, get her back to normal, because we didn't want her to go through the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune of being different from society. And that turned around to where now, these are the people who are teaching us so much more than we ever expected. And so that's how we began, with a tragedy that turned into a blessing, a blessing for us, and hopefully a blessing for many others. Wow. You know, Yvonne, when you first received Vicki's diagnosis, I'm interested of what went through your head. I, I know when we were told about our son, Pierce, who had contracted bacterial meningitis and, and what the future would look like for him, we, we had no clue where to start. And I know it was a different time when Vicki got sick. So what made you and your family say, you know what, we're going to do things different and we are going to fight? Well, it was a devastating blow. Um, it was really strange how you respond to, to a tragedy in, in our mind. And we, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Who can we contact? And my degree uh, at, was going to be in total psychology until the end of my senior year. And I realized I had to get money to eat and therefore I needed to do something else. But I had served a little time at one of the state hospitals where at that time, and I remember this is back in the dark ages, uh, these folks were referred to by the names of moron, idiot, and imbecile. And I could not, that was something that just turned me off the first time I ever heard it. But it was still at the end of its realm in history. And I thought, I cannot let Vicki get into that particular, into that section of society. That That's wrong. That's not right. What can we do to get her back to normal? 
And so we embarked on trying to get some information that was not being given in any form collectively at, in, in Houston. There were special education classes, but they were extremely limited. And they were not, there was a two to three year wait. So we began to go around the country looking for things that were being done to help these people live a better life. And perhaps in the very beginning of our journey, become well again. We needed to fix them. I found out many years later, actually not years at that time, that they didn't need fixing. God was taking care of these things if I would just be open to receive his guidance. And after batting my head against wall after wall after wall, he finally broke through the barrier that I had put up between us. And we began to follow his lead. And that was when the whole world opened up in so many different ways. It was amazing. And I did more than answer your question. I apologize. <laughs> did great. Yvonne, talk a little bit about the early days of gathering support and starting this school. That must have been an uphill battle. It really was because, number one, most people viewed these people as waste products. And why do we waste our time on waste products? And, you know, you love these children. You love them just as much as you love your other children maybe in a different way because they're so dependent upon you, but they are just a part of your family and a very important part. But people began to say, well, she's trying to find a way. Maybe I can help. And they would begin to come over and offer, is there anything I could do? And as I said, we tried to get things that would cure these folks and fix them. And so we went off and did patterning and, different kinds of crawling, and we went to various parts of the country that were doing these things, and they were telling us of all of the success that they had found, but you know, we never did see that success. We did see people improve in their self-worth, and we saw families begin to gel and get together, so that's what we did. We went to Various places across the country studied at USC, UCLA, and maybe Purdue, made mainly Purdue University, where Dr. Newell Kephart was working. And it was common sense type of work to where we would encourage her to do what she could do and not try to have to learn to do what she was totally incapable of doing, at least at that time. And so that support came and encouraged us, and we began to incorporate what these various universities were doing and offering that to our daughter. And one day, a lady came walking up to our driveway at home and says to me, are you the lady that works with retarded children? That was the common term at that time. And I said, well, I work with one. And she says, well, would you possibly work with two? And I said, well, sure, come on in, come on in. And that began a school, a school that went from church to church to church. But since we were not providing standard curriculum, 
we got kicked out of the schools, out of the churches. And we'd go to another one. And then we went to another one. And lo and behold, one day this dad came up to me and said, I'm going to take my son out of the school. You're not teaching him anything. It used to be that I had to beat him to get him out of bed to go to school. And now he comes in and gets me. He wants to go to school. Obviously, this is not what he needs. So that's one of the, that's one of the stories. We did get kicked out of that church. And another story that I think you'd be interested in is one about one of our children, if this was at Memorial Drive Baptist Church. Uh, he was seven years old, as I recall, and he'd already been kicked out of six elementary schools. He did, he was a master at getting kicked out. He broke all the windows that he could reach in one of the schools. He turned over all the desks and very methodically would take the legs off of them with the screwdriver that he had, or wrench or something. But he did, he did ingenious things. And one day, he, he ended up at our school. We, would, we had taken him, thinking we could do just about anything. Ha, ha, ha. But he was up on the roof of that church. And he was going to get hurt. I could just see it in living color. And also, it could damage the church. And I started talk, trying to talk him to come, at, to come at down. I'm not coming down, and there's not anything you can do to make me come down, he told me. And I reasoned with him, and I did everything I could. Finally, he was getting tired. I was getting tired. And he said, well, if I do come down, I'm going to stab you in the leg with something sharp. And sure enough, he came down, and sure enough, he stabbed me in the leg. He got a little branch. It was about a little bit thicker than a pencil. And he reached over and stabbed me in the thigh. It brought blood, did not injure me. And then he threw himself down on the ground, kicking and screaming and carrying on. And I leaned, got on my knees and I leaned over him and I said, you know what, Tracy, you, you can do all you want to, but you are not going to get kicked out of this school because I know good and well that down inside there, there's a good boy that's going to grow up to be a good man. And let's get back into class and start working on that. But, 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 but I stabbed you in the leg. I know it, but it's fine. Let's just get to working on getting that good boy to become a good man. And he reluctantly went back into class. The teacher is giving me the eyeball about what on earth are you bringing him back in here for? Well, we had a little talk and decided together we can make things happen. And we worked about a year, year and a half. And do you know what? He turned around. He was able to go back into public school. But the family moved about that time, moved to Ohio. And I didn't hear from him. And a number of years went by. One day I got a telephone call and said, Miss Strait, this is Tracy. I'm in Houston, and I sure would like to come see that school because that school saved my life. And he began to kind of tear up. 
And I said, well, gosh, yes, I'd love to. And this was a Saturday, or not one, it was a Friday. And I said, I'll come pick you up, and we'll go out to see the school. So he told me where he was. He, had, he was in his old house. His friends were living there. And I took him out to see the school, and he was amazed. And he saw some of his old teachers. And then I said, now let's go out to see this place we're talking about building. And that was going to be Briarwood, Brookwood. And so we went out there, and he saw it. And that was nice. And then he went on back. I asked him, I said, um, what are you doing? Where are you living? And he says, well, I live in California. And I said, well, what do you do out there? I'm thinking, well, he's maybe working on a work crew or something. Well, I'm in television. And I said, oh, for goodness sakes, well, what on earth do you do in television? And he says, well, I'm on this program. It's, it's called Cheers, and I'm the bartender. And come to find out, he wasn't Tracy Harrelson anymore. He was Woody Harrelson, who is now quite well known in Hollywood. And <clears throat> another lesson to be learned, and that is the movies that he's in. I asked him, I said, what movies have you been in? He says, I don't want to tell you because you wouldn't like them. <laughs> and, but the movies he's been in is not indicative of the life he lives. He is an outstanding man. Lives in Hawaii, poor thing. And he's turned out to be a tremendous asset to many, many people. So that's the story of Tracy. That's one of the exciting stories. Wow. How how fast did this grow? You know, I know it started with just Vicky, and then you you mentioned the other uh, individual that came over. But how, how many kids were you working with, and, and how quickly did that happen? It was in 1967 that we were at St. Francis Episcopal Day School with Sally Woolrich lecturing to me every day, saying, you're going to have to charge money because you can't buy supplies yourself forever, and you're going to need – people like to pay for getting their these services. They feel like that's they're contributing. <clears throat> so probably this happened three years after we started in the backyard. But from St. Francis, we, and from there on, they were outgrowing us. And uh, they said, you'll have to go someplace else and where it's bigger. And we did. We went to St. Philip Presbyterian Church. But they were so inconsiderate. That was my perception at the time. They said to us, this is fine. We want you. We want to help. But in three years, you need to have a place of your own so that you can do what you need to do the right way, <clears throat> not in a Sunday school class. Well, I thought that was horrible at the time. Well, actually, that wasn't. That was God pushing us into the next realm. And that was a concrete push, and it happened. In 1974, we moved into a building of our own. And from then on, we have had over 12,000 children with learning disabilities. And I need to take a moment right there and say, our definition of a person with a learning disability is a person who is not learning 
through conventional methods of teaching. That was not our daughter, Vicki. She was unable to learn to a certain degree. So we call those children, children with functional disabilities. They could not function on all four burners, as we used to say. But the children with a learning disability, if you could correct or bypass their hurdle of learning, they were off and running. So we have had now over 12,000 children go through the Briarwood School, and 90% of them have been able to go to college. Some have chosen not to, but all were admitted. The learning disabled are throughout our society in leadership roles because a lot of times they've had a rougher go of it. They've had to work harder to get where they needed to go. And that hard work, coupled with proper teaching, identifying their learning avenues of teaching, and then teaching, of learning, then teaching them through those avenues. Is it visual? Is it auditory? Is it tactile? Kinesthetic? Motor? What is it? And then we work through that avenue. That has brought about success. That was not, at the time, conventional ways of teaching. That's why we had to start our own school. Many other people are doing that, I'm sure. But this was kind of unique in our area. Wow. Well, talk to us a little about how uh, founding the school has then transitioned into you uh, starting Brookwood and what that took to get off the ground. Well, thank you for getting me back on track. You have to do that. You know, you may have to comp me on the head. <laughs> but Briarwood was built originally for children or d- designed to take care of children with functional disabilities. They were going to live with these disabilities, and how could we help them accept that disability and be satisfied with what they're doing? Build self-esteem and confidence in what they were able to do and not worry so much about what they were unable to do. But the program was working so beautifully with the learning disabled that it began to overtake in numbers the functional disability person, and it just mushroomed. So we realized, hey, number one, these children with functional disabilities are aging out of a school setting. We're going to need to have something that will take them through the rest of their lives. And we decided that if we could get something going that would speak to their needs, their individual needs, and if it could be in a residential setting, we would have a chance to give them a life that we referred to as trying to fit a square peg into a round hole in society. If we could build a square hole for that square peg, we will be accomplishing something that will give them peace and ability to take advantage of their potential and not try to make them into something they're not. And that turned into being Brookwood Community where people with functional disabilities can truly 
contribute to the world. Well, you know, your, your life uh, from the outside looking in uh, seems to be that you have created magnificent things that, that will very much outlive you. But I can only imagine how difficult every single thing was to build from the school uh, to Brookwood. It didn't just happen overnight. And, you know, I, I would ask you, what encouragement do you have to our listeners about starting something that's difficult? What, what advice can you give them in getting things off the ground and getting them going? You ask first what was the the thing the troubles that we encountered, and that was ridicule. Vicky was teased. We were uh, made fun of. We're working too hard to get somebody. She's not worth anything anyway. And I remember one day one of the neighbors came down, and he was the ringleader. He must have been about mm, I don't know nine, ten. And he began making fun of Vicky right in front of me with all of the, a bunch of the neighbor children around. And it just devastated me. I started tearing up. I grabbed Vicky and took her in, inside. He had been calling her a retardo. She was a nothing. Look at her. Look at the way she does this. Rah, rah, rah. It was just pathetic. And I took her inside and left her with my friend who happened to be in there. And I said, I'll be right back. And I went down to his house. The kids had all dispersed by that time. And I went down to his house. I was going to level him. I was really going to take care of that kid. And I got to the driveway and something stopped me. Something literally stopped me right there. And I felt this Thing, something saying, make him your friend. Make him your friend. And I went to the back door and I rang the bell and Ted came to the door. And I said, Ted, do you know what happened to Vicki? Do you know why she's the way she is? Well, of course, he was expecting to be chastised royally. But he kind of ducked his head and shook his head no. And I told him the story about how she got this illness. And she probably got it from someone we don't even know. And it damaged her brain because the protective coating that grows around each cell in our brain that God has set up had not matured, would not mature until 18 months. And she was only 12 months. So it hit her brain and went through and did excessive damage. Things she couldn't help. And we thought she was going to die. For eight years, we thought she was going to die. And you know what? When she came out of it, she was not the same person that she had been before the illness hit. And now we love her dearly, like your parents love you. And we need people to help us with this. Help Vicki enjoy where she is. And would you mind helping me with that? Oh, oh, no, no. Well, you know what Ted did? He got every child in that block of Dolliver Street Road, Drive, whatever, to become Vicky's friend. 
And ever since then, we've gone by one of our mantras is make friends first. And that's what we've done. And that voice, that nudge, that thing that happened to me in the driveway has happened throughout our venture. And, you know, you talked about the book, Glenn. You said something about everybody's got a seed to sow. I wanted to name the book something else, but I got voted down. Because as I look back on all of the intervention that God has made, many of them I'm sure we lost completely because we didn't see them. We weren't aware. Our antenna wasn't out. But still the, the things that did happen, I wanted to call the book, It Was All a Setup for God's Way of Working. And that's the advice I would give. Be alert. Be on on the road to letting these things evolve because something will come along. And because I realized I was not in charge, I was a lieutenant in his army, that those doors opened. And then I remembered knock, ask, seek, and you'll find. And I know that's a lot of maybe preaching, but that's what happened with us. It was all a setup to help people. That's the realization we got. Start young. Get these children to be on your side. That's what Sarah did when she came in and was devastated because their neighbors were not going to have the opportunity to tell, to live, and know someone that was a little bit different than the norm. My daughter sometimes says, when somebody said, well, what is normal anyway? She said, normal is only a setting on the dryer. And that's really the truth. (laughs) Well, Yvonne, I think that story just speaks volumes about the importance of listening to God. As you were standing there in that driveway and approaching that front door, uh, you made a very important decision, and that's you chose to rather allow someone to continue to be a bully. You made them your friend. And I think some of the success from an outsider looking in toward Brookwood, your success at Brookwood has really, really evolved around the incredible way in which you build those relationships and you build those friendships. And you've also been able to build some extraordinarily valuable relationships with some big name people. And that's just been amazing. Would you talk uh, with us a little bit more about how you've developed some of those incredible relationships of support for your ministry at Brookwood. Did you ever go to Carlsbad Cavern? And, and, and there was a place in there and they turned out the lights. You've never seen such dark in your life, but they had something called a bottomless pit. Well, that you opened up a bottomless pit. The people that have helped us so many, we didn't even, we didn't even know. And we still don't know. Someone asked me one time, because I need to digress a bit. I, I, we had some ideas that were different, and we wanted to try them. And we were trying some of them at the Briarwood School, and they were working. They weren't curing anybody, but they were making life easier for them. 
facing the fact that I may not ever be able to walk the way other people walk, or I may not ever be able to talk, but it's okay because these are the things I can do. So we introduced new ways. And those came from people that you met along the way, the lady that walked up the driveway. And driveways really have had some sort of a hold on me. But this lady walking up the driveway and saying, are you the lady that works with the retarded? And that began a school. As my husband said, we can't take any more children in the backyard. We're going to be sued for having a circus or something. But that started the school. I know that one of my friends who was actually the National Methodist lay leader, he was quite a God-centered individual, saw the work we were doing and said, I want to help. And his name was Randy Smith. He was an outstanding human being. He was one of the ones that, that's saying, we are all spiritual beings having a human existence. And he wanted to take that with him. And he said, I want to help. I really do want to help. These are not just empty words. And he opened the doors. The, the parents of a child at the school who had seen miracles take place, miracles according to what they were expecting, not miracles of turning water into wine or the lame man getting up and walking. But in their world, for this boy to turn on like he did, they came to me one day and said, we want to be a part of this country place that you're talking about. They were on scholarship at Betha School, at the Broward School. And I knew they didn't have any money. And they said, we want to pledge $10 a month to help get this place started. That was the widow's might. And how on earth, that's, that's the biggest gift we've ever been given. And we've been given one place gave us five million. <clears throat> and that's a nice gift, I'm going to tell you. It's done wonders to get us off the ground. But that $10 gift, these are people that had an influence on my realizing that, that who is in charge. Just keep going. Keep your feet moving. Do the right thing. Sometimes when that's not very comfortable. I remember one of our volunteers who had been a daddy at the Broward School. One of the daddies, his son went to Broward. He said, you know, he was walking across our campus at Brookwood, this is years later, saying to our development officer, Joe, he said, Joe, you know, I'm not a religious person. I don't go to church. I do know some Bible stories. I know one about Moses and the burning bush, things like that. But I'm, I'm not religious. But, but Joe, when I come to Brookwood, I feel like I can smell the smoke. And that has changed my life. Things like that. Those are people that have influenced us. People that 
come in and say, the, the, a physical therapist, I'm at Memorial Drive Baptist Church by myself, working with 13 kids. Now, that was not good judgment. <laughs> I saw this lady walking down the street next to us, and she says, hi there. I live right over there. That's my house right over there. And I wondered if I could help. I'm a physical therapist, and I sure would like to help you. And I said, oh, my golly, I sure would like to have you. But we don't have any money. We, we don't charge for anybody, and we don't pay anybody. I don't want money. I want to help. Well, <laughs> I said, you're on. When can you start? And she says, how about now? That was a major jump start. Another lady who turned out to be one of the keys in developing Briarwood and Brookwood walked in and said, I've got a son who needs help, and I'd be glad to offer my services. I'm an art therapist. Can you use me? Well, before she finished her sentence, can you use me? I said, yes, yes. Yes is our middle name. No is something we don't, we try not to use. These are people that have been influential. Money is big good, but your time, your presence, your prayers, and your service go right along with all the rest of it. Yvonne, as you look back over your amazing life, uh, there are so many stories. You've already shared several. Is there one particular story that perhaps holds a very fond memory as you think about the school in Brookwood? No, I don't think there's one. There's so many that, and it's kind of like Sarah Young says, hidden treasures are along your path, but they're slightly hidden. You need to look for them. Sarah Young wrote um, Jesus Calling. She's phenomenal for me. I remember, though, one thing, and I think Vivian was going to jog my memory, but let me say this one first bit. Um, Dr. Kephart at Purdue that gave a common sense approach to learning. His was the one that taught me to look for the ways people learn and then to present information to them through that avenue. And they forced Vicki to do some things. And it made her upset. And she'd cry. And then I'd cry. And I said to Dr. Caphart, I can't do that. And he says, that's okay. You don't have to. But think about the other side. And that is that Vicki is kind of in a deep, dark pit. And you can help her out of it in a degree, to a degree, or you can leave her there. It's up to you. Well, that was a kind of a pressure point. <laughs> I had to make up my mind then. I'm, when I'm going to try a new way, I'm going to give it 100% or I'm not going to try it. And that has been the way we've been. We, the, we, we, the way we've tried new ideas. We try them and try them and try them. Some we had to give up on and throw out. 
others we didn't. The difference there is that, that we had to, had to go another way with developing Brookwood. And the learning disabled, the Briarwood children, the school, get their feelings hurt and they feel very inadequate if they're classified with the people that are at Brookwood. So we try very hard to differentiate that. And so the meaning of learning disability, person with a learning disability, is a person of average or above average intelligence, not learning through the conventional methods of teaching. And the other children were children that could not function comfortably in society as we know it today. This is changing. That's one of the goals we have, is to make all people acceptable in society. And so that's the term functional disability, is people who cannot function comfortably in society. And we've got to pass all those. We made that a reward. If you did exceptional work, you were given an opportunity to work with the special school children. And they began to compete to begin to be able to go down and work with the functionally disabled. Wow. That's just fantastic. I, I love that story. Well, I, I want to switch gears here and I want to bring in Vivian. Uh, and so Vivian, tell us a little bit about your story and growing up in this environment must have really shaped you and what you wanted to do in life. And so tell us a little bit about you and your family now. Well, it definitely uh, shapes you. Uh, it's kind of like asking someone, um, what's it like to be a twin? You know, I've known no different. Vicki got sick when she was one and I was two. And as we will learn further along in this podcast that um, I've actually only lived three years of my entire life without someone with disabilities in my household. And so uh, what it was like growing up was just what it was like. And um, looking back now, I see how um, carefully I chose my friends. And if someone came over and ever made fun of Vicki, um, I would tell my mother, call their mother, tell them what they did. And um, there was plenty to make fun of back then, considering that no one really had anyone with a disability or a handicap living at home. They were all secreted away. And my friends could probably tell a lot better stories than I ever could because to me it was everyday life. But I was just thinking the other day about um, how we're having to social distance and how strange it feels. And for some reason, it, it, it just kind of feels okay to me. Then I started thinking about the stories of um, taking Vicki, who's totally nonverbal, can't measure her IQ. And um, as we would say now, she speaks autism. That would be some kind of uh, loud squealing sounds. And so, but I guess my parents were wanting us to experience as much of real life as we could. And we would go to, Vic, uh, to Luby's and Vicki would start being Vicki. And, um, you know, it, it take, you have to get a, 
little bit older to figure out that you're at a table and there's no one at any table near you. So we've been social distancing for quite some time, just for a different reason, but grew up um, feeling fortunate because we had obstacle courses in our backyard and we had a trampoline and my mother's discovery of motor development being so important that motor development was an integral part of having breakthroughs with these children. And so I always felt just, you know, really fortunate and um, went to the University of Texas and majored in special ed. And again, my world is special ed. So, of course, you know, when you get to UT, where's one of the first places you go? To the Austin State School. Of course, you've got to go see what cool people are there. And this was a time where we didn't have seat belts, I guess. We sure didn't wear them. And I had a car that held four people. But let me tell you, at the Austin State School, I could get eight in my car and bring them back to the sorority house, thinking, aren't my friends, this is going to be a great day. They, they all started studying on Saturday for some reason, <laughs> but majored in special ed and, and really uh, passionate about it. Um, you get into uh, after college and, you know, you date some boys and it's not a conscious thing. It's really subconscious, but whoever you date has to appreciate Vicky. And it would be hard back in those days to find something that would really interest you in Vicky if you're dating her sister. But my husband found incredible value in Vicky, humor in Vicky. And on our third date, he, he had found out that Vicky loved Astro World. Now you have to understand, Vicky loved straws and pencils, and she would stint them. So she'd find a pencil and shake it. Well, the story I remember so well, and so does my husband, he said it's really kind of what uh, made me realize I was going to marry you, was, you know, when you're in the lines to get on a ride, you know, one line's going to the left and then one's to the right. So you're passing people. So they had those little orange drinks. They looked like an orange and a straw would be coming up from it. And so uh, we would be going one way and somebody becoming the other waiting in line and Vicky just take their straw. And, but by the time they kind of realized their straw had just been taken, they're way further away than you are. And then you meet back. Well, my husband just thought that was the, of course, I was like, oh my gosh, Vicki. Neil just thought it was awesome. And um, you tend to gravitate towards people that um, appreciate uh, who they are. And when I was pregnant with my firstborn, and all of you all listening know that your firstborn for sure is going to Harvard. And um, if not, maybe UT or A&M, but, you know, you're carrying, you know, God's gift to mankind. And so 
my OB-GYN walked in about my second or third month of, of being pregnant, kind of ashen, kind of pale, and said, uh, Vivian, kind of heard that you know something about special ed. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I just became the guardian of my uncle with Down syndrome. Oh, I like, what is cooler than that? And he's like, well, you know, we never got to see him that much because when they found out, my grandparents found out they had a child with Down syndrome, you know, you, you had to put them in an institution and they didn't want to, so they moved to the country. And you now I'm just not that familiar with what, with what, oh, goodness gracious, Dr. Law, we, oh, bottom line, we socially adopted James. And um, I wanted him to be an integral part of our family because it would be such a wonderful experience for my firstborn that I'm carrying, you know, that's going to Harvard to have a similar experience that I had. Um, well, uh, we gave birth, our firstborn, everything's, you know, great. Then he's not making those milestones. Um, if any of you all have had those books, you know, where a child should be developmentally, and uh, there really aren't that many anymore, it's because I burned them all, hated them. And Wilson uh, is a citizen at the Brookwood community. He is developmentally delayed. I, I don't even really know the political term, but he has intellectual disabilities, functions very much like someone with Down syndrome, however, does not have a, a genetic link. Um, interrupt you. Yes. What, what was going through your head? You know, you've you got Vicki as a sister, so you grew up with a, a sister who has special needs. You've just socially adopted uh, this individual that has Down syndrome, and now you have a young child of your own that, that has special needs. What, what was going through your mind as you were, you know, in those early days, and early oh, yeah. Wilson, and then, you know, from then on? So walk us through that. Um. It was kind of one of those, um, hello, God, I have this one down, not me. And um, as most parents, um, there's some denial. Well, not some, a whole lot. And, um, but I, growing up, my mother tried everything, vitamins, spinal taps, obstacle courses, patterning Vicky, electrodes, if it was out there, she tried it. And I had seen the futility really in that. I, I say that in that Vicky is who she is potentially because of that, but you still can't measure her IQ and she still does not speak. However, my parents had never really uh, that I saw as a child taking it wholeheartedly to the Lord. And my husband and I got in a, a Bible study that was just incredible, just filled with very strong Christians and believed, as the scripture tells us, that, you know, 
if two or more are gathered, you know, he will hear us. And so our prayer was to heal Wilson for five years. Heal Wilson. Lord, hear our prayer. And I remember one night um, praying that, and it was at the Bible study, and I had TMJ, and you know, where you can't open your mouth. I, I literally couldn't even eat a banana, and my, lo- my jaw was basically locked. You know, we won't go there. <laughs> the Lord probably did that on purpose. Glad you're editing. And um, I was at the Bible study and had severe TMJ. Never mentioned that. And it came time for prayer. And this group of women just gathered round in the name of Jesus. Heal Wilson. Lord, this is not of you. Heal Wilson. And immediately... My jaw was healed just supernaturally. And it was quite shocking that God would, you know, kind of pull the wrong file from his list of prayers. I said, Wilson. And then it hit me. He is healed. (laughs) I am praying to God that he will heal Wilson from what? (laughs) From the fact he's not going to be a Fiji at the University of Texas? From the fact that I'm not going to have grandchildren? Heal him from what? And so many times society has their benchmark on society and not from Scripture. Where in the Bible does it say, thou shalt go to this college and be this and marry whoever? And that was really the beginning of the journey that now is our vision for the Brookwood community, and that is to change the way the world thinks about adults with disabilities. What a powerful story. I I just think that so often as uh, Christians, we only look through earth eyes. And I think that we're selling ourselves short and certainly selling God short when we uh, try to only look through the things that we immediately see. And I think think we miss it a country mile sometimes. One of the stories that really resonated with me when my wife Rhonda and I had a chance to go with Jacob and Melissa and Melissa's parents to tour your magnificent facility. We were sitting there at lunch and you shared with my wife a, uh, an amazing story of when your daughter came running into the kitchen and she was so upset. Would you share that story with our listeners? Yes. Um, it was, uh, she was five years old. And uh, she had been uh, at school and we carpooled and she had a best friend named Caitlin and Caitlin's mother had driven carpool and had told him on the way home from school for some reason, you know, that, oh, well, you know, we're not going to be having any more children. And she'd just given birth to her third. And um, she, I guess, made it, you know, perfectly clear that they were not going to have any more children. And uh, 
Sarah came home from school just, I could tell, distressed. I, I really didn't know what it was about. And I was standing in the kitchen and she comes up to me and I said, you know, Sarah, what, honey, what's wrong? And she said, Mom, Miss Smith just told us that they're not going to have any more children. And uh, Caitlin was her best friend and cared deeply for Caitlin. And I said, well, honey, they have three. That's a lot. You know, that's okay. But mom, Caitlin doesn't have anyone handicapped in her whole family. (laughs) And I was thinking to myself, well, that's a fluke. But picture Sarah's life. Uncle Jimmy Law, Aunt Vicky, her brother Wilson. That's her life. And Caitlin didn't have anyone handicapped in her whole family. And um, I said, well, you know, honey, I guess every once in a while that can happen. About 10 minutes later, she comes back and you could tell she had really been thinking. And she just kind of pulls on me and she says, Mom, I think I know what happened to Caitlin's family. Well, what, Sarah? They didn't pray hard enough. Vivian, thank you for sharing that story. And uh, I think think it just speaks volumes to the type of home and environment that your parents created, then the atmosphere that you and Neil created in your home that uh, just um, made it perfectly normal for every family should have a special needs child. Otherwise they're missing out on a huge blessing. And, and I think, yeah. I think Sarah gets a gold star. There is no, question about it. you know, some amazing things have happened at Brookwood under your leadership, Vivian, uh, just great growth. And just from your perspective, tell us about your time at Brookwood and what all is going on uh, in the past under your leadership. And then also just some of the things that are ahead. Well, you know, um, if if you want to make God laugh, have a plan. But um, first of all, um, it is not my leadership. I uh, would my my real title is CCF, Chief Citizen Follower. I don't know if you're aware that uh, we have seven CEOs at Brookwood. We job share, I guess. (laughs) One of them, I'm sure, will be by my window pretty soon. He has Down syndrome. And I tell you what, no problem. He gives me so many vacation days because he can run the place. And uh, it's just amazing. And, uh, of course, we have... uh, I also report to uh, the head of our security and uh, who has, I guess, within the last three years, uh, given himself a promotion with the help of Barbara Bush's Secret Service. But Barbara used to love to come here. And, and of course, most people would be enthralled that the president's wife was at Brookwood. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Secret Service. So Bob, who's been blessed with Down syndrome and is 60 years old and had been sheriff for many years um, and then became the director of 
security bonded with Brody. Brody was uh, Mrs. Bush's uh, Secret Service guy. And I don't know if you know much about uh, Down syndrome, but if you're smart, you learn right off. Do what they want you to do as quickly as you can possibly do it. And do not waste any time trying to convince them otherwise. So he determined after Brody that he was going to become Secret Service for Brookwood. That night, the home teacher had to go out and get the black coat, the black pants, the black tie. (laughs) And I'm knocking on the door at Waller County Sheriff asking, do they have any old, you know, those things that go in your ear with that squiggly thing? I mean, I had to have that. had about 24 hours. So anyway, Bob is uh, Secret Service. And just as the President of the United States, does have to be led by the Secret Service, we are too. So let's first get that straight. And what, uh, who guides Brookwood is what our citizens teach us. They teach us that the world needs a new opinion and they call it the world. And, but it's really our tour groups people that they have known from past jobs. Many of our people have worked in um, competitive employment and they have been fired so many times. And the way we think at Brookwood is the poor people that have not yet discovered the unique value as measured in scripture of people with disabilities. And if your plumb line is what scripture tells us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that's the plumb line. And how do these tour groups, which by the way, we are so grateful for, do not want to speak negatively about them. However, our citizens can kind of sometimes look at them and think, well, I wonder if they have purpose like I do. And it's just a paradigm shift. People with disabilities are not people to be cured. Do a lot of our citizens need physical therapy? Yes. But do we call it physical therapy? No. Physical therapy denotes you're an item to be fixed. Something is broken. We call it extreme fitness, patterned after what J.J. Watt does to prepare for a game. And we just, it's not the haves and the have-nots. Well, actually, it is. (laughs) We're the have-nots. I always get amused when There might be something on the news about, you know, a person with a disability shooting a basket for the other team in Special Olympics. And, oh, isn't that great? But when you take the time to ask Johnny, who just shot the ball for the other team, hey, you know, you just made a basket for the Blue Jays. What happened? And they look at you and they say, 
they needed points. What if sitting around an executive leadership team meeting at a Fortune 500 company where it's dog eat dog, what if that were their attitude? What if we really could think about the other person, whether we're developing vaccines or creating a new electronic device? What if you recognized, man, they need points? I like to challenge America to join who our citizens are and have a paradigm shift within themselves. Where is your plumb line? In scripture or in your neighborhood meeting? Wow. Well, Vivian, I know a lot of our listeners out there, uh, you know, there, there, there are things that they're wrestling with uh, that they feel God is calling them to, but they're going, that, that can't be right, right? Like, the, surely... He doesn't want me to step out and, and do X, Y, and Z. Walk our listeners, one of the stories I, I love, walk our listeners through um, how you became the, the CEO of Brookwood and, and that interaction and that wrestling uh, with God. Tell, tell us about that that evening. Well, um, you know, it's hard to um, deny passion. And my passion uh, for people with disabilities was evident. And, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And growing up with a sister and then having the passion to uh, socially adopt James Law at age 40 and then having my own and majoring in special ed, ooh, you know. And I was approached to um, apply for the position. Um, and <laughs> I grew up watching my mother and having the lives of such incredible people under your watch. You know, who in their right mind would want to be in that position when there were so many other options out there? And so there was a headhunter and really encouraged it. So turned in my resume that. Basically, I tried not to say much, and they did not put names at the top. And during that time, I'm just, please, Lord, no. I think I've kind of done the race. And I was sitting in church, and the song, Here I Am, Lord, came. It was a hymn. I, the Lord of wind and flame, I will tend the poor and lame. I will set a feast for them. Whom shall I send? And then the chorus is, Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? Have I heard you calling in the night? I will go, Lord, if you lead me. I still cry. I will hold your people in my heart. God doesn't make mistakes. 
here I am, Lord. And I definitely heard him calling in the night. I just didn't like what I heard. And then that song was used to convict me about a journey that I was to embark on with the promise that he would lead me. And let me just say this. You don't have a choice. He has to lead because the challenges, particularly with our philosophy of celebrating neurodiversity, not trying to fix them, feeling that they have so much more to give to us than we'll ever give to them, takes God. So I, I still feel I'm, I'm not leading Brookwood. I am following a group of 200 adults with disabilities that know more about Christ in their natural state than I will ever know in hundreds of Bible studies. Well, well, Vivian, um, you know, I've got on my phone a voicemail uh, that you left me after one of our very first meetings uh, that you and I had in March of 2018. Uh, And I I keep that voicemail on my phone. I go back to it uh, from time to time to be challenged and encouraged. And on that voicemail, you asked me, you say, are you ready to change how the world views the special needs community? And since then, uh, I mean, that, that's been a focus of mine. I mean, friends that know me and family that knows, that, that is my focus now, but it's hard. And, and so I, I want to pose the question to the two of you. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you face in the special needs community faces? And, and how do we start to make progress in that arena? We actually can't change the way people, the world think about adults with disabilities, but they can. People with disabilities, if you will allow yourself to be as authentic and transparent as they are, Open your heart. Look for the fruits of the Spirit. They are going to change the world. And it's by looking for opportunities to experience what only they can give, which is genuine love. Not because of where you work, what kind of car you drive, where you went to college, none of that matters. They love you for who God made you. They have accepted how God made them. Can we take on that challenge as a society to accept how God made us? Or are we into the next fad, what, they just have everything to give. I've often said, come to Brookwood 
to experience the fullness of humanity through the transparent and authentic lives of our citizens. They are going to change the world, not because of where they work, but because of who they are. And they truly have a sixth sense. Jacob, I know you see that in Pierce. He can size up if someone comes to your home, whether it's a UPS driver or a friend or a neighbor. He can size up how they think about him. And the spirit catches a spirit. And I just challenge the listeners when you're at Walmart and there's a greeter and they say, welcome to Walmart. Find out how they got the job. I'll bet it wasn't stepping over somebody's back. I bet he didn't get it because he lives in a dog-eat-dog world. How did he get the job? And how seriously does he take his job? And are you as engaged in your job as he is in his? And his job is to welcome people. Yeah, to Walmart, but also to his world. Vivian, what you just said, it just has so much truth about that sixth sense. I have a dear friend and his wife have a special needs son, and he's a pastor. Uh, he, he, he said that to be my friend, my son, that's all my friends. Because, because if you're not a friend to my son, you're not going to be a good friend to me. In fact, yeah. He hasn't admitted it yet, but I think he also uses his son to help vet deacons for his church as well. Well, can I tell you this? There is nothing better than when one of our citizens interviews an applicant. And the mere fact that if the citizens are my boss and my door is shut and they need something, do they need to knock? Now, you know, the world would say, get back to work. Put your, wait a minute. He's my boss. He needs something. And uh, they're the best judge of character than any HR person that claims they have x-ray vision. They do. I love that. Let's get a, let's get a board of, people with down syndrome and let them you know vet what we ought to be doing or not doing and choose the deacons <laughs> i love it but well you know i think it's it's interesting too um to kind of echo what y'all are saying uh, about experience I, I highly highly encourage our listeners if you you know we'll talk about it at the end of the episode but if you have not been out to brookwood to experience uh, these individuals, uh, you, you are missing out. You know, Vivian, you've heard me say it before, and Dad, you definitely have. But I, I know um, when you encounter individuals with special needs, you are uh, going to have an encounter with Jesus. And, and I tell people all the time that um, people see Jesus more in my son, Pierce, who uh, is deaf, who is nonverbal, um, and, and he shows them Jesus 
a lot of times way more than than I do, and and they can see Jesus in Him uh, uh, from from a mile away. And so, um, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I, I think experience uh, is is a key to to how people change their attitude about the special needs community. It's it's amazing. So, what is in the future for Brookwood is in God's hands, as we well know, but we truly want to give to anyone that desires the Brookwood way of celebrating these people. If they desire to know the Brookwood way, we want them to have it. We are developing trainings now. We have a center for learning. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but like we just formalized the Center for Learning about four or five years ago because we had so many calls of people wanting a tour and we drop everything and give them a tour and then nothing's getting done. And so we formalized it, called it the Center for Learning. Since we started, we've had 250 organizations come from around the world, from every continent except Antarctica. That's humbling. Man. So if the desire is there, we want to continue our philosophy that good is the enemy of best. And just to continue to go where he leads and continue to provide a safe place for people to ask questions and learn from our mistakes. We fail forward here constantly. How did Brookwood get built on a whole bunch of mistakes that we learned from? They're counting on us. Can't let them down. Wow. Well, this is a great segue into kind of uh, wrapping up the episode here. What we what we love to do is take a few more minutes and just kind of do our rapid fire questions, is what we call it. And so uh, we're going to kind of just bounce back and forth between you two. Uh, and my dad's going to start us off with the first question. Vivian, best advice you've ever been given? Um, best advice I've ever been given was uh, there was a executive coach, I don't know what you call him, but somebody that was uh, helping um, me become a better leader. And she said, Vivian, who's leading Brookwood? And I said, God, great. What did he tell you today? Oh, man, you know, well, I'm praying for this and that, and we're praying for this and we're praying for that. Well, that's good. What did God tell you today about what you are to do. Mm. Well, I, <laughs> from that day forward, I sit in my car before I get out and I just say, okay. I'm here for my instructions. No petitions, no asks, only ears. 
and whether it's email some sometimes I mean it's just you know email somebody that used to work here and sometimes it's go audit the grocery receipts and sometimes it's reach out to someone but to actually listen and not ask or tell God knows best we just think we do Vivian, I think that's such good advice because it's not that we shouldn't have planned. It's not that we shouldn't have goals. It's not that we shouldn't have a to-do list and a structure to go into the day. But we also should enter our workplace uh, with an open mind and open spirit and listening for, as they say in the football world, listening for that audible. And uh, yes, that uh, are not on our to-do list that we really ought to get done that day. Yvonne? Oh, I, I can take, I love these things like that. Um, going along with what Vivian just said, God is present, whether bidden or unbidden. But I've got another one that's, uh, that's for, we use with our citizens and with, because it's just, um, um, it's, it's um, cuter than, the golden rule and that is so live that you can sell the family parrot to the town gossip (laughs) i love that i love that all right uh vivian back to you worst advice you've ever received well i'll tell you the worst thing i used to think um got straightened out uh we had a guy uh came in and kind of did a 360 and, you know, wanting to know, you know, how, how was I perceived, you know, within the organization and, uh, came back. And of course I'm probably one of the few people that would give him a list of 10 people that I thought had the most to say in a not so great way about me because I really, you know, wanted to know, but he comes back and he's kind of shaking his head and he goes, you know, Vivian, I've, gotten the information and he said there is one clear perception and it is that you care more about the citizens than you care about the staff now keep in mind i thought that was the worst advice i'd ever been given when he told me If I don't change that around, our citizens will not be cared for in the way God wants them to be. I thought that was the worst advice I'd ever given. But my gosh, a donor paid for him to come out and do that. I better kind of at least try. That was a paradigm shift in my life that is incredible. Valuing the staff, valuing those others that have been called to serve is how you can love the citizens the most. But kid you not, I thought caring more about staff was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. And let me tell you, it's not. It will change any organization. Mother, what is yours? I'm anxious to hear. 
Well, I don't know whether it fits the the way Glenn worded it or not, but I think that when we were told by doctors, put Vicky away or she will ruin your family. And I can jokingly say, oh, so that's what caused it. <laughs> no, I think that we did not adhere to that. And I think we have the living proof that we're not a perfect family, but I would say average or above. I'm very proud of all of them. So we did not take that advice. And I still consider it the worst we ever got. But the thing is, that is not true for everybody. And I think that in this podcast, that's very important. Sometimes that is the very best advice you could get. So there, that just that just hit me, Glenn. I, that's that's a that's a touchy one because some people have no choice. We had a choice. Wow. Well, next question. Besides the Bible, what is the best book you have ever read? Oh, what a loaded question! <laughs> it's everyone has a seed to sow. <laughs> it is the story of how Briarwood and Brookwood got started. <laughs> Actually, uh, my, my favorite book is by Terry Looper, and it is called Sacred Pace. And it is a story of a man who got his priorities straight and gives all the glory to God in incredibly unconventional ways. It's a good one. Well, Yvonne, what about you? Best book you've ever read? It was a book that Vivian gave me on Christmas several years ago. And I thought, oh, my golly, another devotional book. I've got a stack, stacks of devotional books. And she said, Mother, I am not going to leave this house until you have read at least two of those devotionals. And I thought, oh, my gosh. So I did. And I've never put that book. I read it every day. I have it on my phone. I have it. And that is Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. She seems to hit my weak spots with a uplifting way of addressing them every day. And uh, I had to pay Vivian to say that about the book, uh, my book. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll tell you one other one that you all would like. Yes. If you haven't read it, and it's by uh, Lewis Evely, and it's entitled, That Man Is You. And the trouble is, he was probably one of the most outstanding speakers of his time in uh, the, I believe, the early 20th century. But his books never did make it. And this one book was written as though he is speaking it. And the way it's uh, formatted. And, but you've got to read it slowly. It's kind of like somebody said, yo, I read Mere Christianity last night. Oh. And I think to myself, huh, it takes me a night to read a paragraph. 
but um, I mean to digest it, to digest it. But that man is you is one of the most outstanding, along with Sarah Young's Jesus Calling. And well, thank you for asking. Well, uh, you're, you're not paying me, and I can go ahead and echo what Vivian is saying because I can reassure you uh, that that book has impacted our family's life uh, in many ways, and, and I know many others as well. So thank you for writing it. But we just, uh, as we wrap up here, we just want to thank our guests today, Yvonne Strait and uh, Vivian Schutte. We just want to let you both know uh, that this was an extreme honor for us to be able to sit down and hear your story today. The impact that you two have had in this life uh, is, is hard to measure. Uh, and you will probably not know this side of heaven, the number of families you have saved and you've helped. Um, I get emotional on this part, but I know our family has hope uh, in the future care for Pierce because places like Brookwood exist. So if you're listening, uh, make sure that you visit Brookwood one day, please. Uh, make sure that you support this great organization. We're going to put their website address, their Instagram account. We're going to put all of that in the show notes. Please get out to the shops, eat a great meal out there, buy this incredible book. Uh, and just learn more about this phenomenal, phenomenal community called Brooklyn. And I echo what Jacob was saying is that the gift shop is just filled with first rate gift items. And so if you're looking for a special gift and also to go to a special cause, shop at Brookwood and you can do it online as well. Well, Vivian, Vaughn, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to everyone for listening. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe to our podcast. And remember, keep chasing what matters.